The scripture reading for this morning's sermon come from Exodus chapter 12. I'll read uh, a a few verses here and there. You can follow up on the screen with me. Beginning with verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Verse 8. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Verse 11. It is the Lord's Passover. Verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. I am honored to introduce to you this morning our guest speaker. Uh, Stephen Cooper is an ordained minister of the PCA of which our church is a part of. Many years ago, he once served as the associate pastor of Redeemer, uh, Newport Beach, and so he's very familiar with the OC culture. For the last 13 years, up until last year, he served as the lead pastor of Harbor City Church in downtown San Diego. Last year, God called him to launch a leadership coaching ministry called Clarity, Focus, Heart Coaching, and Consulting. He provides leadership coaching for leaders in businesses, leaders in the church, and leaders in the LGBTQ community. What his bio doesn't reflect is that I have discovered that Stephen is one of the most thoughtful pastors I know. He possesses a gospel sensitivity a gospel tenderness that is not common in the church, especially leaders. Though I've only had the privilege of spending a few meals with him, I can honestly say that every time I do spend time with him, I walk away encouraged and refreshed. And I'm really looking forward to how the Lord will use him this morning. And so let's welcome Pastor Stephen at this time. Thank you, Jeff. That was, that was very kind. Um, I'm really glad to be here. I'm glad to be with y'all. I've been a fan of this church for a long time. And as Jeff said, we've been friends kind of from afar. We've spent a little bit of time together, not a whole lot. Um, I've spent more time with Lewis. Um, he and I have, um, have spent quite a bit of time together. And I just, I love your church. I love who you are. I love the special things that God is doing. Um, I love the way that you have weathered through the last year and a half, two years with COVID. Um, God is doing something special here. And I think that in the church in general, there's been kind of a winnowing down and a pairing that every healthy gardener does, uh, every wise gardener does to its plants to help them be healthy. And you guys are poised for growth no matter what happens um, in terms of the pandemic. Um, so 
I'm grateful. You know, I got the call a couple days ago. Hey, our whole, like, <laughs> Lewis has COVID. There's a lot of people that are out. Could you come preach for us? I'm like, yes, I'd love to. I'd love to. And so, so here I am. Um, and I, and I want to say Happy New Year. Uh, I think we can still say that. It's January 9th, so second Sunday. But hey, I want to say Happy New Year. Uh, Tis the season for resolutions and commitments. Nine days in, is, is anybody still going strong? Or have you discarded all of your resolutions already? Um, I think there's maybe like an age thing, you know. I think there's a point at which you're like, okay, every year I set resolutions and Sometimes I make it to February. I think they say like 90% of resolutions are kicked to the curb by Valentine's Day. So if that's you, don't worry, you're in good company. Um, and, uh, but thinking about resolutions, like I like to ask the questions that are being asked in culture um, or, or when things happen in culture like New Year's with resolutions, I always like to say, hey, God, do you care about New Year's? Or is this just like a thing that we do and you actually get super disappointed because all of us make resolutions to be better versions of ourselves and then we forget about them in the week? Like, is it frustrating for you? Or, or like, how do you think? What do you feel about New Year's? And I ask that question and very often the scripture speaks back to me as God tells me what he thinks. And do you know the answer? Do you know if God cares about New Year's or not? Yes. He absolutely does. Thank you, my daughter. Yes. God absolutely cares about New Year's resolutions. In fact, or about New Year's, whether or not resolutions is another story, but um, he cares about New Year's. And in fact, God cares a lot about time. The Bible has a lot to say about time. And so we're going to look at sort of just the New Year's piece and one other piece of how the Bible teaches us to think about time. But if we were to step back, if we had a lot more time, we could step back and, and see that the Bible says an enormous amount about time. It wants us to think about time in a very different way. And the Bible was given to us, I mean, really the purpose of the Bible the purpose from beginning to end. If you start in Genesis, go all the way to Revelation, the whole Bible is designed as an effort for God to reach out to you so that you would know how much he loves you, how committed he is to you and to the world, and what he is doing to join himself to the world. God wants you to know that he is actively involved. He cares deeply and personally about you, about your relationship with him, and time is one of the ways that God wants you to think about him. Okay, and, and again, we can go into all kinds of ways that the Bible teaches us to think about time, but we're just going to zoom in right now in, in one area. Um, but before we do that, just, I mean, just think about it. Let me, just, let me try to convince you very briefly. So the Bible begins with time, right? The opening line of the Bible is what? In the beginning. So the Bible starts with a beginning and then a day, right? He made light. And then the evening and the morning were the first day. And then you have a week, right? Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. And then God rests on the seventh day. The Bible is teaching us to think about time in a very specific way that's oriented to our relationship with him. So what does God think about New Year's? Well, the Bible teaches us actually that God celebrates New Year's. And God actually taught his people to celebrate New Year's. That he gave his people a New Year's day and a celebration to go along with it. 
Okay, we read the scripture. We're actually going to walk back through the verses that we just read. I want, to, I want you to see this, how God gives his people a New Year's Day and a celebration to go along with it. Let's look again at verses 1 and 2. It says this, The Lord, this is God, said to Moses and Aaron, in the land of Egypt. So this is while they were still in Egypt. And he says in verse 2, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So what does that mean? That means this is January 1st, right now, this day. God is saying, look, you've had a calendar. You've walked in a calendar. It's probably been Egypt's calendar that's been given to you. You know what? I'm going to give you a new time frame. And so in Hebrew, the month is actually Abib. Everybody say Abib. Hey, you know a little bit of Hebrew now. It's good. So, but this is like January 1st for us. First day, the first month of the year. This is the Hebrew January 1st. And so what we see here is that time matters to God. As God is reaching out to his people in relationship with them, he puts a time stamp on this day because of what he's about to do. Because what he's saying is, hey, my people, for you, time is starting over. This is a new beginning for you as my people. It's the first month of the first year. And so time matters to God. And, and when was God's new year? Well, in, this, in Exodus 12, God says, I want this to be the first day or the first month of the year for you because of what I'm about to do. And what is God about to do? Well, God is about to institute the Passover. He's about to institute the Passover. And this is what they did for their New Year's celebration. We're going to read verse 3 in Exodus 12. It says, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Verse 6, The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. It is the Lord's Passover. And so now, if you've been around the church for a long time, you've probably heard this before, and so you don't remember how weird this is? Like, you just heard this, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is the thing. But this is kind of weird, right? Especially today, right? What's actually happening here? Well, they take a lamb, and they kill it, and they put the blood on the doorposts and the lintel. So that means, you know, they leave the kitchen, right? If that's where you're cooking your food, they leave the kitchen and they take the blood and they walk over, you know, to, a, a, to the doorway, like the front door of the house. Okay, the doorposts are the things that hold up the, door, like hold up the, the doorway, right? And the lintel is the thing that goes across the top. And so they were supposed to paint, <laughs> paint their house. They were supposed to paint their front door, at least the outside of the front door, in blood. That's weird. Like, that's strange. And so, but this is what God tells them to do, and it's the Lord's Passover. Now, then they take the lamb, and then they roast it on the fire. So we're talking barbecue. So God celebrates. He celebrates with barbecue. So you're going to roast the lamb, and then you're going to eat it. So they're going to have this really great meal. Um, unleavened bread and bitter herbs go with it. Um, and so, now why? Why are they doing this? Well, verse 23 explains sort of the imagery and why this is happening. It says, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. Okay, now you're like, well, what does God have against the Egyptians? Well, 
if you're reading the story, the Egyptians were these awful, tyrannical, oppressive rulers over the people of God. They were slaves in Egypt. They had been slaves for 400 years. And God is going to set his people free. God is going to get his people out from under the hand of these oppressors. And the way that God did it was he went and said, hey, let my people go, right? That's a famous thing that even people who haven't heard of the Bible, haven't read the Bible, you know, they're familiar that at one point Moses says to the Pharaoh, let my people go, right? Um, and so, so God says, let my people go. And the Pharaoh says, I don't know your God. I don't know who, is, who this, mo- forget it. No, I'm not letting your people go. And so God says, look, I'm warning you. If you don't let my people go, bad things are going to happen because what you're doing to my people is evil. Slavery is evil, right? Tyranny is evil. Oppression is evil. You should not be oppressing my people. And I'm going to ratchet up the consequences until you let them go. And it's interesting because, I mean, this is kind of a little bit of a side note, but in the story, so often people read places in the Bible where God gets upset, where God's judgment comes, and we think, dang, God's super angry. What's God in such a, you know, why is he so frustrated? Why is God so angry? But when you read the stories in the Bible, when God is angry, when God brings judgment, it is always at the end of an enormously long period of patience. Egypt had been guilty for 400 years. For 400 years, God had given them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to stop being evil, to stop abusing his people. Normally, if you read the Bible, and this is what happens, is that you pull things out, you think, oh man, God is super angry and wrathful and vengeful. Like, that's not a nice God. Actually, when you read it in context, if you were there, you'd be like, why is God taking so long to bring judgment? And it's because God wants, God is incredibly patient, sometimes more patient than we wish he was. And so, but this is the time when God is going to, there have already been nine warnings up to this point. This is the 10th warning. And so God is going to, he's going to enter in and he's going to bring this judgment. And so, um, so Exodus 12 verse 23 says, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, right, that you painted your doorway with, when he sees the blood there, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So that's why the blood is supposed to go there. And this is the feast that was the New Year celebration that led to the Exodus. It led to Israel finally being let out of Egypt. And this was the process. In the Exodus, God rescued his people from slavery. As I said, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And God is finally setting them free. But I want you to look at the details here in verse 23. It says, the destroyer is going to come and the destroyer is bringing judgment to every house. But God is going before the destroyer. Do you see that? 
You see, there's God and then there's the destroyer. And God goes first. And when God sees the blood of the lamb on the door, God passes over. He hovers over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter the house. Do you see that? So what's happening here? God is facing the destroyer so that his people don't. Figuratively, figuratively, this is God hovering over the doorways and taking the judgment himself so that that judgment doesn't hit the people that trust him enough to put the blood on the doorposts and the lintel. And it's during this night that Egypt finally sets God's people free. Egypt finally lets them go. They finally say, if we don't stop oppressing you, we're going to be destroyed. And they let Israel go. And so for Israel, this was their new year. Every year they remembered, we have been set free. Every year they remember God took our bondage. God entered in and took our judgment. And so we escaped our bondage. And it's exciting for us today. This isn't just an ancient story of something that happened thousands of years ago to a people in the land of Egypt that weren't us. This actually speaks to us because, friends, we too can celebrate this. Because in the gospel, we also experience a type of exodus. Okay, let me, let me show this to you. I'm going to show you sort of a summary of Israel's story and then how it relates to our story. Okay, so for Israel, you've got, there's people, right? And the people in this story is Israel. The bondage that they experienced was Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And then the power that came from God, the event that came from God was the Passover and the exodus. And the result was freedom, right? This is the story that we just rehearsed. Well, this also is our story as people who today believe in Jesus because we now are God's people. We are the church and we're also in bondage, not in Egypt, but we're in bondage to sin, to brokenness, to patterns, to the trauma that has affected us because of what we have done and what, what, what and the things that people have done to us. And so the power, the event that God has unleashed in our lives is Jesus. God sent his son. God came himself in Jesus. And now we also experience freedom. Like this is the gospel. And so New Year's for us is a chance for God to tell us and to remind us like New Year says to you that Jesus has set you free. Like that's how God would want us to not only take January for us as people who live in this country, but how God would invite you to take Exodus 12, right? The story of Israel and apply it to your life. That this is the beginning of months for you. And so remember Remember that Jesus has set you free. 
And so God is all for New Year's celebrations, both then and now. He wants you to remember that in Jesus, you have a new beginning. That in Jesus, everything starts over. That Jesus has set you free from sin. That freedom comes from forgiveness. And so even if the culture that you're in that is celebrating New Year's doesn't celebrate it for this reason, that's okay. This is something Christians have been doing since the church began. Christians have been constantly, we take celebrations of the world, of the culture around us, and then we put Jesus in them and we redeem them. We just did this in December, right? This is what Christmas is. Christmas was the church taking a pagan holiday and reorienting it around Jesus and saying, hey, you know what? You're celebrating these things. We're going to celebrate this as the day that Jesus was born. New Year's, the exact same way. And so I want to invite you. I want to invite you to start this new year by remembering that Jesus has set you free. That Jesus loves you so much and he cares about you so much. You are not a slave of sin anymore. You're not a slave of the brokenness and the darkness and the broken ways of relating to other people anymore. You are forgiven and free to start over and to be new. So as you look forward to this year, as you look forward to 2022, Look back to the love of God. Look back to the God who loved you so much that he came in Jesus. And in Jesus, he hovered over your sin on the cross. And he took the punishment that your sins deserve, that my sins deserve, so that we would live and go free. This is why 1 Corinthians 11 says that Jesus is our Passover. Because the writers of the New Testament were like, oh my goodness, wait a second, hold on. Wait, wait, the Passover, my goodness, what a beautiful picture of the gospel. What a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. And so we need to keep this story, this gospel story at the forefront of our hearts and our minds. We need to remember that for Christians, our time starts over with the gospel. The moment that you believe in Jesus, you are connected to this story of freedom from bondage. And what if, what if every time we left our home, we saw Jesus hovering over it? What if we remember that because Jesus is hovering over our homes, we are freed and forgiven by his blood? How different would you be in the workplace if every time you left, you saw Jesus hovering over your home? What if every time you came back home, Maybe you see him hovering over the garage or hovering over the front door. Man, what if every time you saw Jesus hovering over your home when you came in, how different would you be to your family members, 
to your spouse, to your children. We, we so need this. We so need this because even after the Exodus, right, after we believe in Jesus, everything is different, right? When this captures your heart, everything really is different. Everything, right? Everything changes. <laughs> well, kind of everything, right? I mean, everything is different. Our relationship with God is different. His presence in our lives is different. But in some ways, we're still us. I like to say it this way, like I've got Jesus in my heart, but I've got my past still living in my body. Right, Jesus is in our hearts, we believe in him, but we are still, there's still the vestiges of who we have been that's in our bodies. And friends, like this is why we need this reminder. This is why we need a New Year's celebration. This is why God wants us to remember this every new year. <sighs> um, COVID's been difficult, I know, for all of us. Um, COVID has, it's wrecked my family. Um, and it's not because of the disease as much as it's because of the ability that we have to disagree about what should be done about the disease. The disease has become political. It's become ideological so that it's like hard to talk about the ways that we should respond without it descending into an us versus them mentality. It's like there's two camps and you're either on my side or you're an idiot. And this week, I was praying over the despair that exists in my heart because of the wreckage in my family. And I was thinking about the ways that I have contributed to this wreckage. And as I prayed about it, I felt like I could see Jesus hovering over my house and, and Jesus said to me, hey, Stephen, I know that you have worked really hard to try to understand things about the virus and the ways that we should respond to it. But you're not sure that you're right. Like You think you're right, of course, but you're not sure that you're right. There are things about this that are confusing. Um, but you're not confused about how much you love your family. Like there's no confusion that you love your family. And so I'm setting you free. I have set you free from even the need to be right. I've set you free from acting like you're more certain than you really are. And like, and I just, I remembered that I was, that he's made me new, that he's set me free. 
that I'm not the same person that I have been before. And so I was able to reach out and to say, hey, so much of this is confusing, but here's what's not confusing. I love you. I love you. And I don't know everything that should be done. I don't know what exactly is right, but I know that I care about you and how you feel. And so I'm willing, I'm willing to do what you asked. And there's nothing like extending love that comes from freedom. There's nothing like experiencing a Jesus who has set you free when you use your freedom to love someone else. It connects you to him in a deep way. Because Jesus' entire life was an exercise of him with all the freedom in the world deciding to come and to give his life for us. And when we're willing to listen and to understand, when we're willing to put someone else's needs ahead of ours, we have a chance to connect more deeply to the heart of Jesus. In my coaching ministry, I spend a lot of time with leaders and a lot of the people that I spend time with feel far from God. And the opportunity, I mean, and what's, what's ironic is that um, Well, it's not ironic. <laughs> what is, what's become more and more evident to me in my own life is that very often, like I say, I want to be close to God, but I really only want to be close to the parts of God that let me do whatever I want. And that's not, <laughs> why do I feel so far from him, <laughs> you know? Um, Maybe it's because I'm not actually close to who he is. I was able to say in my family, like, I hate to admit this, but sometimes my frustration over trying to figure out what's right gets in the way of my love for you. And I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. think that they're, like, the pathway to draw close to Jesus is a pathway of us sometimes just making decisions to love people the way that he does. And, and here's what's extraordinary, because um, sometimes I don't want to. Sometimes I just don't. I just don't want to get closer to Jesus if it means I got to love him that way. And the thing that usually turns for me is remembering that Jesus is hovering over my house is that this is exactly, like Jesus isn't just telling me to love the way he loves. Jesus first and foremost in the gospel tells me that he has loved me this way. 
And when I look at how patient Jesus has been with me, when I think about how many times I have become overwhelmed by the sense of how big I missed it and how much I've failed, and yet he's been there for me and he's understood and he's cared deeply for me. I feel like that's what puts a well inside my heart. It's a well of his love that I can draw from. Because if I've got to go back and just figure out a way to, to drum up love on my own, it doesn't work. But when I look into my heart and see his love poured there, that's where I go. And when I am able to see his love poured out in my heart in the way that he's loved me, and I think, Jesus, you're just asking me to love them the way that you loved me, that well never runs dry. So, got a new year ahead of us. In what ways might God be asking you to share his love this year? If Jesus were hovering over your home, if you were hovering over your life, what do you think it might look like for you in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood? One last bit of uh, good news. Even though God's all about the New Year's, he's all about like once a year celebrating the fact that you've been set free. Um, God knows that a year is way too long. <laughs> he knows that if you set resolutions this year and then come back next year, that's not enough. That's not enough for us. And so God's done something else with time to keep this at the forefront. Um, he's given us the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy 12, God says, hey, I want you actually to remember this freedom every single week. In Deuteronomy 12 verses, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 5 verses 12 to 15, God says this, and I want you to see both the command and then the reason. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Listen to this, verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So there's good news here. This isn't set your resolutions in January and see them through till the end of 2022, right? God's saying, hey, how about six days? How about just six days? Because every seven days, I want to invite you back into my presence so that you can remember that you've been set free. Every seven days, I want you to rest and I want you to gather as a family and I want you to worship me and remember what I have done for you in Jesus. And so, y'all, this is, this is the gift of the church. You know, and whether you're here on Sunday or your Sabbath day is a different day of the week, right? You want to press into the family of God because this is the place 
These are your people that can help remind you that Jesus is hovering over your home, that Jesus is hovering over your life, that he has set you free by taking the judgment himself so that you are liberated, so that things start fresh, and so that you walk with his presence and his power in his freedom. And so commit to going deeper in this family this year. I think your life group season starts up in February. If you're not in a group, join a group. There's nothing like getting together with people who can remind you that Jesus is hovering over your life. People who can pray for you. People that you can talk with about the times when you didn't look as though Jesus were hovering over your life. Right? And then also, you guys are at a pivotal point in your church. You guys are positioned to grow. And one of the ways that you can help this church grow is with your presence and your commitment. And so ask yourself, how can I help lead in this church? What can I do to take responsibility for something that goes on in this church? How can I make sure that I'm contributing in some way to the ministry that happens here? Maybe it's serving on a Sunday on one of the ministry teams. You know, maybe it's serving during the week by leading a small group, a life group. Um, but just ask yourself, because God's doing something special in your life, and you've got something to contribute here. And just ask God, God, is there something I can do to take responsibility for in this church so that I can be part of what you're doing to make this church special? Your weekly experience in church reminds you that you are free and that you are new. So whether you make resolutions or not, just remember the gospel has changed me. Jesus has set me free to walk forward in his freedom. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the way that you gave your life for us. Thank you for inspiring the Bible to be written with these sort of crazy and weird ceremonies that we don't get because we're in a radically different culture and yet when we see them through the light of the cross and the resurrection, Jesus, you lived free from all of sin and you invite us into your freedom. Help us, Jesus. Help us to walk with you. To learn how to love people the way that you do. To give ourselves as you gave yourself for us. There are people here, Jesus, that, that don't know you yet, that haven't committed to you, that haven't come underneath your hovering presence. I pray that you would draw them near. If you want to do that, you can pray to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Help this church, Jesus. It's been through so much. It wants to honor you. Bless it with your presence. Set people free today from old habits, from broken patterns, so that they would experience your freedom 
and celebrate your freedom together. We pray this in your name. Amen.